Hi, I'm Ben Pilgreen, lead pastor of Epic Church in San Francisco, and I want to welcome you to the podcast. Our vision here is to see an increasing number of people in San Francisco orient their entire lives around Jesus. But whether you're listening in from the city that we love here by the bay or wherever you might happen to be in the world today, I want you to know that I'm excited about what God is doing in your life and what he's doing in our Epic Church community. I hope you'll find this message encouraging and that it will inspire you to take your next steps along your faith journey. For those of us who are followers of Jesus, we have mostly figured out how to live out our faith when we are in environments that are filled with other followers of Jesus. Like when we're here at Epic on Sundays. I mean, it's been 54 weeks, but you know, when we get back to being in larger gatherings on Sunday, it's pretty easy for us to live out our faith. Or when we're in our Epic small group that we should all be in, by the way, mine has been fantastic But when we're in those settings, it's pretty easy to live out our faith. Or guys, if you go out with three other guy friends, girls, if you go out with three of your girlfriends for dinner and they share your faith identity, it's pretty easy to live out your faith there and to talk about your faith. But we mostly haven't figured out how to share our faith with people in our world who don't share our faith especially in a city like San Francisco, where more than nine out of every 10 people that live in our city, they do not share our faith. So how do we do that? Now, if you're not a follower of Jesus, I want to say a couple of things to you, and I'm so glad that you're tuning in today. The first thing I want to say to you is this. We are sorry for the times that we haven't made Jesus seem as compelling as he actually is. Would you forgive us? Not only would you forgive us, but would you give us another chance to let you know just how compelling he is? And for all of us, those who follow Jesus today and are watching, those of you who don't yet follow Jesus and you're watching, I believe there's so much compelling news for us to learn today. Uh, I want to be in three texts today, but don't freak out. We're going to go through one at a time. We're going to start with 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9 through 12. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9 through 12. Before we get there, though, I'm going to give you some encouragement from Peter's life. Peter is known for a number of significant moments that he had. But one of the significant moments that Peter is known for, and even if you're not a person of faith, you might know about this moment. It's referred to as the great denial or the three-time denial. See, one of the moments that Peter was known for is the moment that he didn't know how to live out his faith or share his faith with people who didn't share his faith. There was a servant girl who said, I know that you were with Jesus. And Peter's like, no, I was not. And eventually Peter says, I don't know that man, right? Peter was in the group of us and we've all been there where we're not really sure how to live out our faith around people who do not share our faith. But let me give you the good news. Post-resurrection in Acts chapter four, the authorities, I believe it's in verse 20, they say to Peter, Peter, we want you to stop sharing your faith with those who don't share your faith. And Peter's like, you judge 
for yourselves, but here's the thing, I cannot stop sharing my faith with those who don't share my faith because I have seen too much and I've heard too much. Just like we sang a moment ago with Seth, if there's nothing better than Jesus, then our world has to know about it. But I understand this, you don't wanna do it in a way that's defensive or argumentative or combative, or let's be honest, awkward. And so let's learn from Peter as well as Jesus today. First Peter chapter two, verses nine through 12. Here's Peter writing to this group of Christians in the 60s AD. He says, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you're the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Verse 11, dear friends, I urge you, strong encouragement as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. So much here. And you're like, Ben, there's only four verses. I know, but just hang with me for a moment. Peter, first of all, he's using language or titles that previously had only been used by God to refer to his chosen people, the nation of Israel. So if you go to multiple accounts in the Old Testament, you will see this language, that Israel was God's called out people. They were a holy nation. They were a people for his own possession. And in the Old Testament, what we call the Old Testament or the Jewish scriptures, Israel had a special place in God's heart. They were set apart. They were distinct. And now Peter is saying what God used to think of in terms of Israel, he now thinks of every one of you who has this new identity in Christ. I mean, isn't that incredible news? He doesn't say one day you will be. He doesn't say if you're a Christian for five years and you get all of the questions right. He says, no, no, here's your identity. So many of us, our struggle in our lives right now is that we just don't know who we are. But he says, here's who you are. You are a chosen people. You are a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation. You are God's special possession that you might declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful or marvelous light. If you wanna know what it means to be a Christian, it means to be called out of darkness and to be called into his light. And then he says this, once you were not really a people, you had nowhere to belong. Now you're the very people of God. Once you had not received mercy, now you have received mercy. If you wanna know what it means fundamentally to be a follower of Jesus, it is this. Here's your story. Once I was, fill in the blank, but now I am, fill in the blank. If you wanna know, if you're genuinely a Christian, do you have that story? Once I was this, now I'm that. You heard Peter write it. He said, listen, you weren't a people, now you're a people. You had not received mercy, now you had received mercy. You were in the darkness, now you're living in the light. Once I was, what is your fill in the blank? But now I am. Maybe it would be something like this. Once I was lost, but now I am found. Once I was far from God, now I've been brought close to God. Once I was an enemy of God, but now he calls me his friend. Once I had no hope, but now I'm filled with hope. Once my life had no purpose, but now I have my God-given purpose. Do you have that story? If not, let it happen today. 
Let it happen today. But notice in verse 10, you've been called out of darkness into his wonderful light that you might declare his praises, that you might actually say what has happened to make you different. And here's the big idea for today. If we have been made different, we must live a different story. If you've been made different, you must live a different story. But how? How do we live into this new identity while trying to live in this world, especially in a place like San Francisco? How do we do this? Some of us, and maybe all of us who are followers of Jesus have thought this at one point in time, like the only way I can live out my faith is if I remove myself from people who don't share my faith. Anybody besides me ever thought that? Others of us have this keen sense that we actually should live our lives close to other people who don't share our faith, but we have no clue how to do that. Thankfully, Peter gives us the recipe right here, and here's how I will sum up this principle. Live a distinct life in close proximity to others who do not share your faith in Jesus. So so live a particular kind of life not far from those people who don't share your faith in close proximity to those who don't share your faith. Live a distinct life in close proximity so you don't have to remove yourself, nor should our lives look like everyone else's life around us who doesn't share our faith. We live a distinct life, but we do that in close proximity. Verse 11, Peter says, I urge you as foreigners and exiles, as foreigners and exiles, exiles. Here's the big idea Peter wants his hearers to know, and here's how I will translate it for those of us who live here. Here it is. You'll see it on the screen. Live in San Francisco or wherever you call home, but remember that your ultimate citizenship is in the kingdom of God. Like wherever you call home, and you know our church is in San Francisco, so I'm going to use that, but I mean wherever you call home, live here, but do it in a way that you never forget that your ultimate citizenship is in the kingdom of God. This whole idea from Peter reminds me of what Paul said to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians 5. In 2 Corinthians 5, verse 17, Paul said this, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he or she is a new creation. Again, the old has gone, the new has come. And then you get to verse 20 and he says this, but we are God's ambassadors as though he is making his appeal through us. The idea there is that we are called to represent God because ultimately we belong to his kingdom. I was reading an article in The Atlantic this week from Tim Keller, which I think is awesome that The Atlantic published Tim Keller's article. But he was writing about how he used to teach other people how to face death. And now, in case you didn't know, he has cancer and he found it a challenge whether or not he could take his own advice about facing, about facing death. And I was just reading in there, and it was incredible to me, just, just the, the idea that he said every time he tried to make earth feel like heaven, he always fell short. But when he remembered that he was destined for a different city, as Abraham thought, a city that has foundation. Tim Tim Keller said he's he's been able to enjoy his life no matter how many days he has left on this earth. Do you know that you ultimately are a citizen of a different kingdom? So let's make the most of our lives here. But remember, we're to live our lives on this earth as though we're foreigners and exiles. 
Then Peter says, abstain from sinful desires. Abstain from sinful desires. There's that distinctness. We can't just circle the way the world circles. We can't just idolize what the world idolizes. He says, abstain from sinful desires. Elsewhere in Peter, he says, here's the thing. Be holy because God is holy. Your life has to be different if you've been made different. You and I must live a different life. Story. He says, abstain from sinful desires. But notice what he doesn't say. He does not say abstain from sinful people. And religious leaders, really for the last 2,000 years, they've taken this meaning as though it says we should abstain from sinful people. That's why when Jesus comes onto the scene, the Pharisees have all kinds of fits over Jesus. Jesus was constantly confounding people by the way he lived and who he associated with. They could not believe that someone claiming to be the son of God was hanging out with tax collectors and prostitutes and lepers. And when they set him up, Jesus said, you need to know I didn't come for the righteous, I came for sinners. So there it is. You abstain from sinful desires, but you don't abstain from sinful people. Notice where we're to live these good lives. Verse 12, live such good lives among the pagans. Where do we live our good lives? Among the pagans, your translation may say among the Gentiles, again, playing into this old covenant language where the Gentiles were outside of God's chosen people, but now Gentiles and Jews and everyone in between who is in Christ now has this identity of belonging to Jesus. Live such good lives, where? Among those who don't share your faith. And then he says this, and even though they accuse you, they will glorify God on the day he visits So what's going to happen? Are we going to be accused or are people going to place their faith in Jesus and glorify God? I think you'll probably get both responses. But what Peter seems to be saying is that initially some people are going to accuse you of doing wrong. And those very same people one day, one day, are going to glorify God. And here's what that means to me. Here's what that means for you. We can't just share our story once, drop into someone's life, and then drop out of their lives. Here's what we have to do. We must be a consistent, faithful presence in their lives. We must pray for them, and we must not give up on them. February 28 was a great day for our church. It was our drive-through event, the first kind of everybody-come event that we've had in a year. And hundreds of you showed up, and our team was so filled with delight and life and joy. Hopefully it was meaningful to you as well. But one of the ladies in our church, when she stopped by, she came to the early session when we were right here at Epic, and she said to me that she had received a phone call at 2 a.m. that morning. A little bit of the backstory she shared. In January, her mother-in-law, who lives in a different country, her mother-in-law had gotten sick, but also, if I remember the story correctly, in January, her mother-in-law had given her life to Jesus at the age of 92. She told me the reason they were called at 2 a.m. San Francisco time is because her father-in-law had just put his faith in Jesus at the age of 100. And then she said this to me, Ben, we have prayed for them for 30 or 40 years. I know you want it to happen instantly. Who doesn't want their mom to come to know Jesus tonight? Who doesn't want their kids to come to know Jesus this day or this week? Or you would just settle for 2021. I totally get it. But 
wouldn't it still be worth it if you spend the next three or four decades praying for your neighbor, for your cousin, for your boss, for someone in your life that seems far from God, and you just keep showing up, and you just be that faithful presence, and you live a different life, and you love them, and you don't give up. My guess is if you're living out your faith today, it's because someone lived out their faith around you and they prayed for you. For me, that was my parents. It was my youth pastor growing up. Who did it for you? And then the question for all of us is, who are we going to do it for? Who are we gonna do that for? Now, I wanna move to the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter five to let you know how Jesus thought about this idea. Because when Peter says, let People around us see our good deeds and glorify God. He likely is stealing that from the Sermon on the Mount. It was before copyright was a thing, so I don't think Jesus took him to court for using his words, but you'll see the exact same words from Jesus in Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 through 16. Here's what Jesus says. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, circle that one. In the same way, just like salt does its thing, just like light does its thing, in the same way, you let your light shine before others that there it is from Peter, Jesus first, then Peter, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Jesus is saying we need to be salty, and some of you are like, Ben, I've got that one down. Like, I am so salty. I need you to know that how Jesus defines salty is not how you define salty. Now, what's the purpose of salt? The purpose of salt, especially back then, it was for preservation, and back then and still today, it's for the purpose of flavor. Raise your hand at home if you put salt on something before you taste it. So you're already coming with preconceived judgments. I was told that Walt Disney never hired anyone who over dinner did that. But some of you are like, Ben, no, I don't care about Walt Disney. I just know it doesn't matter how salty it is. It needs to be more salty. And Jesus says, pretty like rational idea, if salt loses its saltiness, it has no point. Like what's the point in putting salt on my food if salt doesn't change the flavor of my food? In the same way, what's the point of you and I being followers of Jesus if no one is flavored because we follow Jesus? If, if no one is influenced because we follow Jesus. So there's the salt illustration. Then he says, you're the light of the world. You're the light of the world. And the big idea there that you'll see on the screen is this. The, the point of our faith is not for it to remain private and hidden. The point of our faith is not for it to stay private and hidden. Is it personal? Yes, but it's also communal. But it is not meant to be private. It is not meant to be hidden. And then Jesus said, a town or for our case, and in other translations, a city on a hill, it cannot be hidden. Again, he's being rational to express how we should live our lives as people who claim we've been changed by Jesus. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. One author I was studying about uh, from on this text, they, they, they said this, and they did not live here, by the way, but I love how they said that. They said, can you imagine being assigned the job of trying to hide the city of San Francisco? Like, I've driven through the Midwest, like Kansas and Missouri. You can hide that. But we're not a city on a hill. We're a city on many hills. But this was Dallas Willard in one of his books. He just said, can you imagine being given the job that your job is to hide the city of San Francisco? 
So I started thinking about that. No, we have a ton of hills. And especially since Salesforce Tower came up, you can kind of see San Francisco from everywhere. But there is one thing, if there's one thing that could hide our city, it's known as Carl the, the Fog. Right, So if you're coming from the outside, there are days when it, it is so incredibly foggy. It's been a while. Thank the good Lord. It's been a while. But when you're on the outside of our city, if it's foggy, and I'm just saying to you, get rid of the fog in your life so people can see Jesus. You can't hide the city of San Francisco. And if you've been changed by him, that should be able to be seen as well. Hear me on this one. Jesus has not changed your life to hide your life. He has changed your life to let your light shine before others. He didn't change you to keep it a secret. That's why he said, no one lights a lamp and then covers it up under a bowl. No, 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 no. Remember, this is before PG&E. When you light a lamp, you put it on a stand so it can give light to as many people as possible in the house. And that is what he wants to do with your life. Now, let me be clear about something, because if you go and read the Sermon on the Mount, you're going to be confused at a surface level whether you should let your light be seen or whether you should hide it. Ben, what do you mean? Here's what I mean. In the text we just read in chapter 5, Jesus says, let your light shine before others. When you open up chapter 6, it's still the same teaching, by the way. It wasn't divided in three different teachings. But in Matthew 5, 6, and 7, the longest public discourse Jesus ever gave. But in chapter 6, he says this. Whenever you do what you do, don't do it to be seen by others. So if you read both of those together, you're like, Ben, which one is it? Do I let people see it or do I hide it from others? You let people see it but you make sure you're not letting them see it so they think much of you. You're letting them see it so that they think much of him. That's the idea. So what's your motivation behind what you do? We don't need to share our faith story with people so people think we're incredible. We need to share our faith story with other people so that they think God is incredible. Let your light shine before others. Ruthie Kim, who's going to be speaking at the end of April, Easter is April 4th, April 11th, really excited for us to kick off a five-week series called When Shame Moves Out. I know none of you have ever struggled with shame, and you're not struggling with it today, but I have, and so I'm really looking forward to that five-week teaching. But she's going to teach the last one in April, uh, April 25th. And here's what she said, however, in another message about what we're talking about. I love these two ideas she said. She said, light makes something distant seem so close. And light gives evidence to existence. I I love that idea. Light makes something that's far off seem like it's really close, and light proves to us, even from a great distance, that there's evidence of something happening there. The idea that that us being the light of the world, it makes God seem close and accessible. I I don't know if you know this, but so many people in our world, God is such a distant, distant concept. Whether they are an atheist or an agnostic or they're interested in God, but he seems so far away. And yet God wants to come close in us and through us. And then that idea about light being evidence of existence Some of you know that over Christmas, our family drove over 5,000 miles in an RV. Now, when I say that our family drove over 5,000 miles in in an RV, what I mean is I drove every one of those over 5,000 miles in an RV. And you know how road trips are, and I'm not sure we'll ever do it again. Anyway, airplanes were a great invention. RV sounded like a great idea. 
You know how it is when you're driving through stretches of the U.S. and there's just nothing going on. And I'm just like, I, I just need something, right? I need a sign. But then off in the distance, you begin to see light and you get excited like it's going to be a big city. The reality is it's just a truck stop, but that's okay because they might have your favorite candy or your favorite drink. And you convince yourself that you can eat and drink anything that you want to because you're the driver. But when you see a light in the distance, it's miles away, but it's, it's proof of evidence that something's there. Whatever is there, it's going to stimulate me at least for a moment, and then I'll probably be back to that stretch. And then eventually you come across a ton of lights, right? When we drove, like I'm thinking, we didn't drive through a ton of big cities, but even like going through the city of Albuquerque, you're going to see a, a lot of lights there because there, it's, it's a bigger town or city than, than a lot of the towns that we drove through, but it's evidence of existence. So what we've been talking about today so far is this idea about how do we live this distinct life among non-Christians in a way that they see our lives. Now, it's been said, and it's a pretty good idea on the surface, that all we need to do is live our lives before people, but we never have to say anything. That sounds great. I just don't see that in the scriptures. Let me show you what I see in the scriptures for our third and final text. 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 15 and 16. 1 Peter chapter 3, 15 and 16. Peter wants to tell us how we prepare to engage people who don't share our faith and the posture that we are to take as we engage people who don't share our faith. He says this, But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared. Circle that phrase. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have, but do this with gentleness and respect keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their splendor. First thing he says is, in your heart, in my heart, set apart Christ as Lord. This is huge. Some of you are wondering, why doesn't my life look different from the rest of the world? It's probably because you haven't made Jesus Lord of your life, at least completely. Now, Jesus is Lord of the universe, but for us to submit our lives to him, it's called lordship. It means this, that in every part of my life, I submit my life to him. So when it comes to my use of money, I submit it to him. When it comes to my sexual practice, I submit it to him. When it comes to how I engage with people that I like and my enemies, I submit that to him and I do it his way. That's what it means for Jesus to be Lord. So he says, in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Or as we say here at Epic, orient your entire life around Jesus. So you're just going, hey, my vocation what does Jesus want for that? My relationship, what does he want for that? How I spend my time, what does he want for that? How I serve my neighbors? So, so we're just asking, what does he want for that? And the second thing he says is this, always be prepared to give an answer to anyone who asks you essentially what the meaning is here for the hope that's in you. Listen to that. Always be prepared to give an answer to anyone, everyone who asks you for the hope that you have. Do you know when your hope will make the most amount of difference? I'll give you this on the screen. Your steadfast hope in Jesus will stand out most when those around you who have lost their reason for hope. Your steadfast hope in Jesus through COVID, through losing a family member, through your heartache, through your sorrow, your steadfast hope in Jesus will stand out most when those around you have lost their reason for hope. That's when the questions come. That's when they want to know, hey, you and I, we fell into the same circumstance. Why is your life so much more hope-filled than my life? 
Listen to Dallas Willard in his great book on sharing our faith called The Allure of Gentleness. He writes this, If you do not exhibit the presence of a life that is above the world, something that is coming into you and giving you joy, peace, and strength, listen, in a situation that looks very bad from the outside, there isn't going to be anything for people to ask about. If your joy and your peace and your hope rises and falls with your circumstances like everyone else in the world does, no questions are coming your way. That life makes complete sense. This is the way the world has worked from day one. So let me ask you this. What questions enter people's minds as they watch your life? Like, Ben, can we move on? No, 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 let's go for it again. What questions enter people's minds as they watch your life? When they hear how you speak to your children, when they see how you deal with failure at work, what questions enter people's minds as they watch your life? It's convicting for me too. There should be something different about my story and about your story because we've been made different. Now, we're in week two of the Share Your Story Challenge, and this week, here's what we're going to do. We wrote our story out last week, and you can catch up. This week, we're actually going to record ourselves sharing our story, and we're going to post it to social media. Or you can take some photos and just Upload those to your social media account, and then in the caption, just write out your story. Some of you are like, Will Maraz are thinking, I don't have Instagram, Ben. I'm off the hook from sharing my story. No, Will. You're going to share your story. You're going to text it to someone. You're going to share it with the barista. Not that you can sit in the coffee shop, but they're going to want to hear your story. Um, but just be able to share your story this week. And as I close, let me just ask this that you might be feeling. And I, I want you to lean into the discomfort with me. Some of you, it's beginning to hit you. Wow. I don't know if I've ever been made different. There is no shame. But let's not pretend that that's happened if it hasn't happened. Instead, let's step into what Peter just gave us. Let, let's be called out of the darkness. If you are, are without Christ, you're still in the darkness, but Jesus has shown his light right now in this moment into your heart so that you might step into a new identity, that you might become a daughter or a son of the most high God. If you wanna do that today, just say, Jesus, I give you my life. I want to be different. I have tried to change myself. I need you to change me. And remember, the big idea of religion is, what do I have to do to bring myself to God? That's the opposite of Christianity, which says this, what has God done to bring me to himself? He sent Jesus to give his life so that you might exchange your old identity for a new one. Who wouldn't want in on that? And for the rest of us, how shall we now live? Distinct lives in close proximity to others. 
salt of the earth, light of the world. We're not going to hide our light under the bowl. We're going to let it shine because our world needs to know the good news that we know, that hope can only ultimately be found in Jesus. Let me pray for us to live this way. Jesus, thank you that you have given your life for us. Thank you that you were able to abstain from sinful desires, but you did not abstain from sinful people. And for that, as a sinful person, I'm glad. Help us to embody the way of Jesus. Help us to follow you as we interact with colleagues and neighbors and family members. Give us peace about sharing our story. Help us to do it, as Peter said, with gentleness and respect. We're not trying to be defensive. We're not trying to win arguments. And should people speak maliciously about us, that puts us in good company with you. But would you give us more love for them than a desire to defend ourselves? We belong to you. Our identity is secure. We want to be your ambassadors. God, your representatives to this world. We don't find that easy to do in a place like San Francisco, but you've called us to it. So equip us and give us courage and confidence to be those kinds of individuals and to be that kind of church. In your name we pray, amen. Thank you so much for joining us on the Epic Church Podcast today. If you would like to learn more, you can go to epicsf.com. I want to also encourage you to download the Epic SF app so that you can keep up with everything that God is doing in and through this community in downtown San Francisco. 